you're laying the groundwork of how I would explain what I brought into my marriage, that as a man, when things got intense or heated, I was told that the basketball player Lance could never come off the court, the cutthroat dark Lance that everyone loved to root for, but mm-hmm. he could never come off the court. Mm-hmm. He couldn't come home. So I lived a very compartmentalized life. Yeah. And all I knew how to do in the home life was be the perfect cookie cutter facade and just stonewall. And so taking that into my marriage, when there were issues coming up, I didn't know how to do anything but stonewall. And so my marriage ended when I was 33 years old. Mm. Two years after it started. Yeah. Welcome to Men This Way, the podcast for every man who seeks to live his deepest purpose in life, who's committed to showing up fully and giving his unique gifts to the world. Because if not you, then who? I'm your host and fellow journeyman, Brian Reeves. Brian with a Y, Reeves. Men, this way. In this episode of Men This Way, my guest is Lance Allred, the first deaf NBA basketball player in history. Lance just released a new book, The New Alpha Male, with Sounds True Publishers, and he's also the TEDx star of the video, What Is Your Polygamy? A video which currently has over 4.6 million views. But look, neither of those reasons are actually why I invited Lance on to men this way. There's plenty of men with popular books and huge video stats who don't live their message. So what, what fascinated me most about Lance was not that he is an author or a video star or even the first deaf player in NBA basketball history. No, what most fascinated me about Lance is that he grew up in a strict fundamentalist Mormon polygamist commune in rural Montana up until the age of 13. And he not just survived that, but transitioned, transformed out of that experience into the man that he is today. And some of the stories that he shared about his upbringing, and more importantly, how he broke away mentally from that upbringing really spoke to me, because I too grew up with some wildly prophetic, even conspiratorial viewpoints in one of the primary families which I grew up in, which came with massive expectations about the special role I was supposed to play in saving the world from itself. So I wanted to hear more from Lance about his life journey from grandson of Rulon Allred, who was the leader of the Apostolic United Brethren, a breakaway sect of polygamous Mormon fundamentalists that ranged uh, from Utah, Colorado, and, and Arizona. They were often called the Allred Group. And by the way, his grandfather was actually, you may, you probably haven't heard about this, but back in, I think, the 70s or so, 60s or 70s, there was this crazy, wild feud between Mormon sects. There were murders and assassinations carried out, and Lance's grandfather, Rulon Allred, was actually one of the polygamous sect leaders who was assassinated by the head of a rival sect. So fascinating story. Uh, We don't really talk so much about that story here. You can find that story uh, in other places. He talks a little bit about it on his TEDx talk. But I wanted to hear about his journey, a lot of the challenges and the insights and the awakenings along the way that that took him from grandson of Roland Allred growing up in rural Montana on this commune to NBA basketball player and now author and international speaker. So we, we cover a lot of ground in this episode from the challenges and pressures of growing up in a polygamist sect or any conspiratorial family system that puts the weight of saving the world on your shoulders, as happened to me, <laughs> to the futility of trying to keep an intimate partner happy, to the importance of questioning the stories we live in, in our own heads, and to the fear and disappointment that often awaits us when we finally achieve our dreams. 
We explore all that and more in this episode of Men This Way. So definitely stay tuned all the way through for Lance Allred's five key takeaways at the end. And finally, if you want to share feedback or just share what this conversation inspired in you, I always love to hear from you, my listeners, uh, and some of you reach out and, and, and share and and believe me and I answer everybody and your feedback and insights and whether it's you know telling me to keep going or uh, uh, you know something that touched you in a particular episode it it's always deeply appreciated and meaningful to me so you can email me directly at Brian with a y Brian at brianreeves.com I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode of men this way all right let's dive Lance Allred, welcome to Men This Way. Thanks for having me, Brian. I'm excited to be here, and it's been a beautiful journey for me the last year, finding men in my same heart wavelength, so men who seek yeah. for the wisdom, and so I'm honored to be here. Uh, you know, I appreciate you saying that. That, that. that was something. I'm 46 years old, and it wasn't really until... I was maybe, I think, 30 or so that I started to find men that were like, holy shit, there's a whole different genre of men out there, like men mm. that are powerful men, but also connected to their hearts that are, have thoughtful. Like, so just hearing you say that kind of brought me back to some time ago when I had kind of lost hope in men. And then I discovered treasure troves of men everywhere. So yes. Yeah, man. Thank you for saying that. Lance, where are you right now? Where are you hold up? I'm holed up in Salt Lake City, Utah okay. at the moment with my son and I, Simon, he's six. We're doing the quarantine. I'm doing the homeschooling and homeschooling a six-year-old is harder than making the MBA. <laughs> God, I can't imagine, man. <laughs> wow. So, uh, so he's, what is he in first grade? Yeah, he's in first grade now and How's I'm proud of the little guy. How's he coping? How's he doing with this? I mean, kids are resilient, but he's had a high threshold since the beginning. His mother and I split when he was 15 months old, and I retired from basketball to be with him. So I didn't mm. want to, uh, I just couldn't stand the idea of being away mm. from him. Mm. And so not knowing what the hell I was doing, I transitioned out of basketball into public speaking. Again, no clue. Mm -hmm. what I was doing, cutting my teeth. And he showed great resilience as a little guy, an only child of a divorce and being able to adapt and flow. And compared to his cousins, I love them, but they have their comfort zones. Mm -hmm. And Simon is a pretty big hearted kid who's not afraid of the world. And I'm incredibly proud of him for that. Mm -hmm. Beautiful, man. You know, I, I truly believe that just fathers loving their sons, challenging them, but loving them in loving ways yeah. is, is what is going to really contribute to massive healing on this planet. I agree. I not know how to grieve, Brian, from my cult upbringing in a polygamous society of Mormon fundamentalism in rural Montana. There was no room for grieving. There was no yeah. room for a man to show his emotions. And you don't have to grow up in polygamy to have that. That's basically Western American society totally. in general. But going through the divorce, I had to learn how to grieve. It was not a skill that I had. And you watched my TEDx talk, What is Your Polygamy? That was truly, polygamy was just a big giant metaphor. It was really me learning how to go through the grieving cycle. And being a father to Simon during that time and getting him to take a breath, define what he's feeling, express it, and not be ashamed of it. Mm taught me to do the same to myself. And so he was a beautiful mirror. And so yes, fathers teaching their sons, but sons teaching their fathers. For sure. Yeah, I heard Reverend James Trapp, I think said this. He was a he was the senior, he's the leader of the whole Unity Church at one point. I got to go to his mm -hmm. his Unity Church in, in Miami for many years. It's kind of what set me on this whole path, gosh man, 15 years ago. Wow. And he said, our parents birth us physically but we birth our parents spiritually. Amen. That's a beautiful way to say it. Yeah, I thought that was really profound. So, wow, grieving. I mean, we could do the whole podcast just on grieving. Uh, I'm curious, how old were you when that divorce happened then? Let's see. So I got married when I was 31. 
I was very delayed as far as intimacy and vulnerability, breaking away from polygamy. I was given the warped subconscious belief that my worth as a man was attached to not only how many women I married, but once we broke away from polygamy, my worth as a man was still attached to who I married. Did I marry the most beautiful woman, the most uh, gregarious or powerful woman, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. That we've all been taught to have these codependent attributes when it comes to love and intimacy, thinking that we're going to find happiness from somebody else. And that's, that brings up the whole other discussion of what is happiness. And we've been taught that satisfaction is happiness. The happy Hollywood endings with the dopamine high and the wedding and everything, that's satisfaction. Or pleasure. And I, or pleasure. Wow. Yeah. I've learned that happiness for me is clarity. Clarity that I get to decide my own metrics of success. I get to maneuver through the world in my own heart-centered way, knowing that my worth is never in question, that I do not have to measure my worth by the old outdated metrics of the society we were raised in, which was the Cold War era which said the most trophies, the most nuclear weapons, the most brass belt buckles said that we were alpha. And learning that I get to decide what is alpha. And for me, alpha is being able to hold heartbreak and gratitude at the same time in your heart. Being able to hold heartbreak and gratitude at the same time. Being able to hold heartbreak for the loss of a marriage and my great love and understanding that it still hurts some days and it's stupid that I can't see my son half the time with split custody. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, understanding with gratitude that she is the only person I could have fallen in love with that madly, that deeply, to become that exposed. Yeah. To expose so many more blind spots that I had. And we can hold them both at the same time. Yeah. We've been taught that you can only feel one emotion at once, happy or sad. And that's BS. You can hold both. And the earth is half light, half dark at all times, daylight and nighttime. And if the earth was always in daylight, the plants would die. We would die. You have to have the dark and the light. And that's where we have the balance, the masculine and the feminine. We're growing up in my ultra-religious community. We always had to wear the white shirt and the tie and have the happy fake smiles. Mm-hmm. That is a power play to keep us off balance. You know, I, I want to tell you, when, when I was in Salt Lake City years ago, and I went and saw, it was around Christmas time, and I went mm-hmm. and saw, I went to Temple Square around mm-hmm. Christmas time, maybe seven, eight years ago or something. And I saw a choir perform. Mm -hmm. No, there were probably 40, 50 teenagers in that choir, you know, a Mormon choir. And the saw what was fascinating to me, Lance, and on a bit spooky, was they were singing these beautiful songs and their bodies were not moving at all. Nope. The body was so still. Talk about the feminine, just not it's like it was just I was kind of mesmerized but spooked. And then I remember they did one song where they allowed their bodies to move, mm-hmm. but the movements were so programmed and robotic. Yes. <laughs> Very I was much like, so. what am I watching? <laughs> that we are taught that emotions or expression is ungodly, that we have to be reverent and still. Mm-hmm. Unfailing to learn the lesson that our humanity is our divinity. It is, if your God is a purely, if your idol is purely a masculine idol, then yeah, stillness is your, is your everything. Absolutely. Absolute stillness. Witness, Mm -hmm. just watching. Don't participate. Mm -hmm. Don't give yourself to this experience. Don't be in it. Exactly. Be outside of it. And (laughs) (laughs) so you're talking, you're, you're laying the groundwork of how I would explain what I brought into my marriage that as a man when things got intense or heated i was told that the basketball player lance could never come off the court the cutthroat dark lance that everyone loved to root for but Mm. he could never come off the court Mm. he couldn't come home so i lived a very compartmentalized life and all i knew how to do in the home life was be the perfect cookie cutter facade and just stonewall and so taking that into my marriage when there were issues coming up i didn't know how to do anything but stonewall. And so my marriage ended when I was 33 years old. Mm. Two years after it started. Yeah. yeah. Two years after it started, yeah. I was playing in Mexico and then Puerto Rico for my last jobs. And she left 
and she grew up in Mormonism as well, not in polygamy fundamentalism, but she yeah. grew up and she was she wasn't religious anymore, but she had her own thing she was working through course, for a yeah. time we came together. But we were still stuck, even though we were no longer believing of the religious faith, we were still stuck in the cultural programming and the stories and the expectations that come yeah. from stories that we're raised with. And I challenge people all the time, our politics, our religions, so much of it comes from our culture, our microculture, the family, the community that we grew up in, the geographical region of the country. And then you have the macro culture, which is the American culture that we're God's country, it's our job to bring democracy into the world, and playing basketball around the world for 10 years, and now seeing the state of our current political climate, we ask the question, well, what the hell are we even offering the world anymore? And one day when I was flying over, I think it was Japan, I had this thought and just realizing that everyone and their mother and every culture I played in thinks their values are the best values. Their league is the toughest league in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so if everyone's saying that, then it's a wash. Helping me realize that our culture is our biggest blind spot. Our culture is actually the software that is installed in our operating uh, hard drive that is our brain. We all have different hard drives of brain by genetics and other things, but the culture you're born into is the software. And so here we are as Americans with, for, say, for example, our Macintosh brain software, how we compute values and algorithms. And we're talking to the Japanese guy and we're saying, why the hell isn't his Microsoft software computing with the same values and algorithms as my Macintosh? He must obviously be an inferior operating system. That's what we project onto the world rather than actually checking our own culture. Mm-hmm. When I tell people the whole notion of change your thoughts, change your life, that is a low risk wager, hoping that you get a big change in your life. I tell people you have to change the entire motherboard. You have to be brave enough to go in and check your culture and all your values that came from your culture and ask, did I actually choose these values? Yeah. Or did I just inherit them to belong, to make sure I wasn't abandoned? And abandonment is usually the root fear of everyone's behavior that they do not want to be abandoned. Well, I'm very present right now because to what you're saying, because my partner, she is Armenian. She wasn't even actually born in the United States. She was actually born right. in Saudi Arabia. Wow. And I mean, I'm as American as you can get in many right. ways. You know, I'm very open-minded. I've lived outside of the country. I've traveled right. extensively, but still I'm born many, many generations back. Born right. in the country. And you and your wife, you grew up fairly close in sort of culturally similar in yes, terms of the Mormon. She's actually half uh, Tongan Polynesian. Her mom's native Polynesian. So there is some of that culture okay, too, but probably not as strong yeah. as your wife's, but continue. Well, the thing that I'm, that really fast. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Cause I've actually, I've dated a few Mormon girls over the years. Mm -hmm. And again, this is not an anti-Mormon thing we're doing no. here at all, but uh, it's culture. I, it's culture. I, I will say that man, those those two women, wonderful as they were, man, they were really well. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Well, that for another right. time. Well, the, here's here's the thing that I'm really interested in exploring with you because you you shared something and you've alluded to it earlier in what you were saying that you grew up with the program that I think I might have read this in your book as well or maybe it was in your TED talk. But you the program that a real man can keep his woman happy. Yeah. And especially as a polygamist, you got lots of women you're supposed to keep happy. <laughs> Intense. Intense. <laughs> you know, okay, so your marriage lasted two years. And don't worry, I beat you. I had a marriage that lasted eight months, Lance. Mm -hmm. Eight months. So I, I know this story of, you know, a, a man. I jokingly, half jokingly told Sylvie when we first got together, look, so long as you're just always happy and thrilled, we're good. We have no problems. You just stay happy and thrilled. To which mm -hmm. she said, fuck you. Yeah. Right. She wasn't going for that. But I'm right. curious. So, you know, what do you know? You know, I've yet to myself keep a woman happy. Never, never mind multiple women, but, you know, and I've yet to meet a man who really has mastered that art. What do you know about that today? Well, the thing is, that's, that's a fairy tale. Yeah. Sold to us by the movies, by the Disney movies, by Jerry Maguire, You Complete Me. I'm going to read something from my book that I had ready for this. I knew you were going to ask this question. While the cliche is that men fear intimacy, what we in fact fear is role-playing. 
We fear being an actor in someone's story and world of expectations. Stories and expectations that society, reality television, and movies have told us is intimacy. This is role-playing, which says true love has to look a certain way. It is, in fact, the opposite of intimacy and can be claustrophobic or smothering. Who wants to play a role to be an actor all the time? Mm -hmm. And so this brings up the whole issue of standards versus expectations. A standard is a non-negotiable reflection of self-respect. An expectation is a manipulative projection of perceived lack. So I'll give you some examples. An expectation, you will never speak to me that way. Standard, I won't be spoken to that way. Expectation, you make me so happy. Standard, I choose to be a happy person. So we have been taught this codependency, which is the consumerism archetype. We've been taught as Americans to consume outside of us the next truck, the next home, the next boat, the next lover, the next spouse will fulfill us, that we are incomplete as we are, and we have this illusion that something else will complete us, which creates this expectation, as, you, as we talked about just earlier, of the dopamine high of satisfaction, of pleasure. And we think that's happiness. No, it's fleeting. And for me, happiness is the clarity of knowing that I don't have to play that game. Happiness is the clarity that as I choose to integrate with myself, integrity is, is the root word of integration, integrating all aspects of who I am, making myself whole and complete as I am, no longer shaming parts of myself that I think cannot be loved integrating all of them together in my heart, masculine and feminine at the same time, dark and light Lance, that in that aspect, as I integrate fully with who I am, the right people will integrate with me. And as you are maneuvering, you're saying, hey, I am, I am looking for a more heart-centered way, and I choose to live presently, empowered, no longer playing a role in someone's story. What you are asking for is to meet someone who can meet you there at that space. Someone that loves you and sees you for who you are, no longer trying to pigeonhole you to be a character in their story. Even though they're going to try anyway. They're we, all, try. We, we, all, we all play that game. We all play that game. And those are the blind spots. And here's what real intimacy is, is knowing that enlightenment is not some Zen thing where you're never affected. Enlightenment is recovery time. As a basketball player in a, and an athlete in his prime, I still got fatigued, but it was, coach, I need you to call a 30-second timeout. Let me catch my breath. Mm -hmm. Or someone got fouled. I'm going to catch my breath. It's stamina. That is enlightenment. It's recovery time. And so going back to what, bringing it together, it's having the recovery time and the wherewithal of that enlightenment to say, oh, wow, honey, lover, whatever you call them, when you said this, it really triggered me. It activated me. And I needed to not happen again. And I also understand that this is bringing up some baggage, some trauma, or some wounding from my earlier childhood, or as a cultural conditioning that I realize really isn't mine. And I need to let it go. And being able to have an open, transparent, authentic conversation like that, that's a real intimate conversation. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying I'm not going to have any blind spots in any future relationships. Are you in a relationship now? No, no. Uh, I'm, I'm chasing a big dream right now that's taken all my bandwidth. I'm Anyhow. curious. I'm curious though on this note. What, so what would you do differently in your next relationship? What do you already know you'll do differently or hope you'll do differently? I hope I'll do differently is not be afraid of abandonment, not be afraid of saying no, because I didn't know how to say no. My father... I love him. I adore him. The second wife left when I was born, shortly after I was born. So I grew up in a monogamous home in my polygamous community, and he could not be on the quorum of the 12, the leadership of the group, because he was not polygamist. Interesting. And I know he overcorrected by then putting my mother on a pedestal, saying, I am married to the most beautiful, amazing woman, and we have the happiest marriage in the world. But what that really was, was my mom wanted something. My dad never said no. And to my mother's credit, when she got what she asked for and needed, she was consistent, very even killed, mm -hmm. Capricorn to the exact definition. <laughs> and so there was consistency there. Now, imagine my confusion when I get married and I'm giving my spouse everything she's asking for. Mm -hmm. 
and she's a cancer and she's still being moody. She's still being, (laughs) and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I have no coping skills for this. No blueprint for this. I I was taught it's supposed to look this way. Yeah. And so I learned how to be the nice guy as the book Robert Glover so brilliantly wrote that, you know, I learned how to be manipulative, never saying what I truly needed. That if I keep giving and giving and being the nice guy, that suddenly somehow someone will magically read my mind, which is just as egregious as the whole narrative of soulmate. When people say soulmate and they say, oh, well, you should just know me by now uh, or my soulmates out there and they, they would get me. They'll, they, would, they would know what I need. What I'm really hearing, being in speech therapy till I was 15 with my hearing loss, learning how to speak is something I'm most grateful for. And I get to the real world and I'm like, wait, why is no one communicating? That the whole narrative of soulmate really is saying, I don't want to have to communicate. Right. I want you mean, someone you mean to the, magically read my mind. Got it. The story that we've bought into soulmate means this is just going to work easy. Easy. Yeah. And they will know exactly what's right. on my mind and I won't have to ask for right. it and we won't have to have difficult yeah. conversations of right. accountability, right. owning our own BS from our right. own culture. I can way. do whatever I want. Just be exactly. my, just be so-called myself and you'll yeah. love me unconditionally. Unconditionally. <laughs> and I can be rude. If you can't understand why I'm being mean to you today, then you're not my soulmate. And I'm going right. to go find someone else, swipe left, that will just let me right. be right. and act however I want to behave without any accountability. And a lot of people think that's intimacy. It's not. It's people staying in the child archetype of wanting to have the world fed to them, having them not have to deal with any struggle or adversity or the pain of growing. And as you know, the last 15 years, as you've been working on walking in a more heart-centered way, it is extremely painful to rip out the scar tissue around your heart that you were that the world just gave to you because the world is a hard place. And learning how to walk that path of accountability and integrity is a very difficult, and it can be a very lonely place too, when you see so much of the world is not operating from that lens. And so with that, going through the divorce, I had a choice to go into the victim archetype. And so, yeah, I was wrong. I'm the victim here. Or I can choose to have accountability and own my side of the street of a failed marriage, owning the baggage and stories I brought into it, that she somehow was supposed to magically know all of my wounds and my heartbreak and heal them. That's a cruel thing we do than other humans when we Mm -hmm. put them on these pedestals, expecting them to heal our pain, Mm -hmm. when that's actually our job. That's our job as an adult Mm -hmm. is to check our own stories and our own wounds. Mm -hmm. And the check our own stories means also that while the event may have actually happened, how you choose to tell it, how you choose to narrate it, the story is always in question. Do I choose to tell the story as a victim or as a teacher? The victim stays in the self-absorbed world where everything is about me. Why is this happening to me again? People always betray me. People always leave. Whereas the teacher stays in the self-aware arena that says, why am I in this dynamic? And why is this person in my world? And what are they helping me learn about myself that I would otherwise not see? So, So what was one of the stories then that you really have had to overcome in your own life? great story, a huge story, that I was not worthy of love, that it was impressed upon me, already amplified by Western society for men anyway in general. It's amazing how often I hear that story. It's that story. and It's so prevalent. It's prevalent. And mine was amplified by a Sunday school teacher impressing upon me that God had made me deaf or legally deaf, 80% hearing loss, as a form of punishment, that I had done something wrong in the pre-existence. And so I had to do something superhuman, and then I'd be worthy of love. Mm-hmm. I had to be the first death player in the NBA, and then I'd be worthy of love. And then imagine once I get to the NBA and my self-worth is nowhere to be found. You know, this is really interesting to me, reading this part about your story. First, I understand you got a 10-day contract, right, to the mm-hmm. Cleveland Cavaliers? Yeah, two 10 days and then signed for the rest of the season. But the first one was a 10-day contract, yeah. Well, I mean, so here you are. You've got a 10-day Right. This is in the, 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 the Cavaliers era of LeBron James. Yeah. Right. Yes. So you've got 10 fucking days, Lance. What the hell is that like? 
like thinking <laughs> it's that's 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 the disenchantment of it all but yeah. it's like wait where's my happy hollywood ending i'm here uh -huh. and all i still feel is fear fear yeah fear that if i don't make this shot don't yeah. make this free throw i'll lose right. my job and if i don't right. have this job then i have no value as a man to offer the world and and, told, and this was just in the first 10 days yeah yeah and then you got, so I know you got, you did get signed for the year. And yet what, what I understand, like what you're sharing right now, it's still, this didn't go away. It didn't. While my ego was happy, yeah. my heart, I still felt fear and severe disenchantment. And then in, later that next fall, 2008, the economy collapsed with the subprime bubble and I lost my job because the Cavs released the last two spots to save money as most NBA teams did. And I was like, wait. I did everything I was supposed to do. And I, uh, I nearly committed suicide uh, later the next year because the pain of my stories and my expectations was clashing with what is. And that's where so much of our pain comes from as humans, the stories. We hold on to our stories no matter how badly the hot coal burns in our hand because we believe that story is our merit badge, that that is what defines us. And we drive ourselves crazy with our stories, but we can't let them go. Thinking that if we let them go, then all the pain will have been for nothing. Here's how you, you have to alchemize it. You have to convert it and teach it, well, teach so, it as so, a lesson. So your NBA career is essentially over. Mm -hmm. You've just been fired. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, cut, let release, go, whatever. cut, released, yeah. whatever. What's happening now to your story? You said you almost committed suicide. And, and yeah. So I went over to Italy and the team there wasn't paying me. They were going bankrupt. Uh, and I'm like, wait, all those, I didn't make the NBA until I was 27 years old. That's seven years longer than the average player. I was uh, heartbreak and disappointment, but keep chasing after a dream, yeah, yeah. striving to do something that people said can never be done. I couldn't play basketball with my hearing aids in and I was ejected my first game in eighth grade after we broke away from polygamy. I started playing basketball as a way to adapt. And being ejected that first game, people said, oh, yeah, no, he's too deaf. He can't because do this. The, because the ref couldn't, the ref yeah. didn't know you couldn't hear yeah, him. I thought you had attitude. Yeah. You thought Which you did have sense. attitude, but that wasn't yeah, so, why, <laughs> yeah. that wasn't why you. I, I wasn't agree. I, yeah, I wasn't yeah. really, I, I wasn't an abrasive personality, yeah. but I had attitude. And mm -hmm. there was also the drive to make the NBA. Yes, fear was my greatest motivator that I had to do something to be loved. But also I wanted to have a platform to speak on behalf of so many other marginalized kids with hearing loss or yeah. quote disabilities. And and, and, and Lance, I'm sorry, I want to, you just said something really profound. Uh, fear was my motivator and it is a great motivator. And I, I think, and I, I, maybe when we get to the other side of this story, there's something really profound exploring in this, maybe around the idea of surrender, but right. this idea, I think a lot of people and I myself have experienced this where, well, if I, if I let go of my fear, what the hell is going to motivate me then? Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that is. And that's why I get paid now to do what I do as a speaker and corporate consultant, getting teams to understand the championship teams are teams that have discipline, that have accountability, that if you deviate from the team agreement, there are consequences. But at the same time, the coach knows you have certain parameters. But at the end of the day, you have to let your players go out and play ball. You have to release the hounds, so to speak. Mm -hmm. That the hardest players to guard were done those who were not afraid to make mistakes. As a player, when I was playing against a guy that knew if he made a mistake, he was going to get benched. Hmm. Those are the easiest guys to guard. Interesting. Yeah, I can see that. And so getting companies to understand, yes, you want to have parameters, but you also need to let your employees have some equity in the culture. You can't just say these are our corporate principles and expect everyone to buy in. You need to let everyone else pitch in, have a vote saying, what is our culture? And from that, you can have collective accountability, no longer dictator accountability. And so finding the balance of, yes, fear motivated me, but fear did not allow me to truly enjoy the moment. Yeah. That if I had a great game, it was okay, the next game, the next game. And it was not until later that I, I used to have this narrative that was, after a game at night, for example, I'd be like, oh, if only I'd made that easy layup in the second quarter, I would have had 20 points tonight instead of 18. Yeah. 
I would do that and beat myself up all the time. Yeah, yeah. But then it hit me that like, wait, I was like 31, 32. When I realized this, it was, well, if I had made that easy layup in the second quarter, the other team would have had to stop the play, inbound the ball, go down the court and run a completely different play. And then we would have had to run a completely different play, depending on whether they made or missed or turned it over and vice and so on and so on. So who's to say I would have even had 18 points? I might not have touched the ball for the rest of the night. Right, right. And so learning and bowing to acceptance and surrender, the word yeah. you just used. Yeah. Surrender with the humility of saying in each moment with accountability, because wallowing in guilt is not accountability. It's not me being a good teammate. If I'm stuck in the past beating myself up because I missed my last five shots and my head's out of the game because I'm in the past, that's not accountability. That's not being a good teammate. It's about being brave enough to say, all right, that's done. That's what happened. That's what was supposed to happen. Why was that supposed to happen? Because that's what happened. Yeah. And when you accept what is, you can get in the present and you can make the best informed decision in that moment. All right, balls in my hands that left me wide open again. This is the best shot we're going to get in the 24-second shot clock. I have to shoot it. Mm -hmm. If I don't, it's basically the equivalent of a turnover. Hmm. And so learning to play with trust, living with trust rather than fear. We were taught to believe that fear is the best motivator or a great motivator, but fear usually gets the bottom line results. When you're operating in trust with accountability, saying, hey, you know, I'll just do whatever I want. I don't have any consequences. No, saying I am making the best informed decisions I can in each moment. If you can say that honestly, as you put your head down at night, you're doing a good job. And in that trust, as you operate with integrity, and I define it as, are you the same person in every room that you walk into? You will get to where you need to go. Operating with trust that life will have your back. And it will continue to give experiences, even painful experiences, until you actually learn the lesson. And that is the beauty of it. We can operate with the narrative of the victim and say the world or life is conspiring against me. This bad shit keeps happening to me all the time. Or you can say, wow, I'm actually here to learn. I'm not here to just plateau. I'm here to learn. I'm not here to plateau and have all my dreams and comfort zones and all my needs met and I can stay inside my little bubble and play it safe. I'm here to grow and I'm here to learn. And I'm here to alchemize those experiences as a teacher and to help other people who are coming up behind me to navigate life more efficiently, yeah. more fruitfully and authentically. Yeah, yeah. Years ago, my, my mantra for many years was, um, life is constantly conspiring to bless me. Hmm. I, my only work is to get the fuck out of the way That's and let it happen. Just get out of your own way. That's get out of my way and let it happen. When I'm working with people who want to be coaches, you know, <laughs> teachers, coaches, when I'm working... A lot of times there's this idea, and I get it, I've, I've harbored this in the past, that, that, well, I have to be the master of the subject in order to yeah. help other people. It's like, no, just like you said, just, just be a few steps ahead on your yeah. own journey. That's all we're doing is then turning around to the people who are behind us and saying, hey, I, I have some insights that might be helpful to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Another point too, that in this stat driven era, people have fallen in love with stats, but as a basketball player, as athletes, stats inform us. They do not drive us. You have the outliers. You have unforeseen calls by the officials. You have the coach, opposing coach calling a timeout and running a new play that the scouting report could not predict. Yeah. And do we throw a fit and say, wait, that's not what the stats predicted. Or do we say, that's life, and all we can do is flow and dance with it? Yeah. And we have been living too long in the social media world where we are lionizing people with wealth, giving them all these attributes, assuming they're emotionally healthy and emotionally intelligent people, and everything coming out of their mouth is gold, because we've been taught to idol worship. And social media has really fed into this. And so we have fallen in love with the idea of stats and control and knowledge and information, which all comes from the brain. The head is logic, the heart is intuition, the gut is instinct. And I've had to learn the hard way with all of my drive to speak and communicate with the world, learning the hard way that People really don't care how much you know. They want to know, have you been where they are? 
Have you been in the trenches with them? That we have so many people trying to be the smartest guy in the room, the master of the subject, as you just said. But that's not what people remember. People remember what they feel, not what they hear. People remember, did he have a big heart when he spoke? Could I feel his humanity? Could I feel his heartbreak? Could I feel the toll he paid to be where he's at on that stage talking to me? Because anyone can regurgitate Tony Robbins. Anyone can regurgitate Wayne Dyer and sound wise. But have they, can they actually walk that talk? That's what people want to know. And so that's what I tell anyone who wants to be a teacher or a coach. Forget about trying to be the smartest guy in the room. That's the ego. Yeah. The heart, walking the heart path is, am I brave enough to be authentic and vulnerable and show my scars for the scars in my timeline and my grit? And to show to people the path I've walked to be here and that I've actually paid a toll to be on the stage speaking to you. I've earned the right to be here. Yeah. That's what people need. Yeah, we're, we're definitely living in a time where credentials don't matter so much. Credentials meaning, you know, university, letters yeah. after your name, they don't really True. mean as much. I mean, right. I think in the, fuck man, I don't even know how many, in the thousands of coaching conversations that I've had, which is people exploring whether they want to work with me or not, I think I've right. been asked by less than five people, what are my credentials? Mm -hmm. Less than five. Yeah. You know, and like you said, people want to know, it's fascinating. It's just like, we really, we need to know, hey, we're in this together. Like you get my pain. It's like, yeah. it's less, do you have a solution and more, do you understand my pain? Right. People seem to really be clued into these days, yeah. which is also sadly why a lot of these influencers who don't have wisdom can still sound like they are worth paying attention to because we see them, we see their humanity in a way. You see the time. humanity in a way, but there's also the illusion as a basketball player, we call people YouTube all-stars as a detriment, that anyone can make a YouTube highlight reel as a basketball player mm. and make them look like a superstar. Mm. But when the going gets tough, the proof is always in the pudding. Yeah. Can this guy actually show up on this court mm -hmm. and follow through in crunch time? Yeah. And that's what we're, that's what we're needing to see. And that's what the world is asking for. I'm curious about something because you and I, at the very beginning, before we started even recording, I shared a little bit about uh, growing up myself with parents who, now I got two, two families and one of my mm -hmm. families had very, oh, prophetic conspiratorial leanings in their worldview. And yeah. you know, I, I was shown maps of what the world is going to look like after the cataclysmic end times mm -hmm. that are coming and holy shit, you know, to a 14 year old boy, <laughs> it's both exciting and terrifying at the same time yeah it's exciting and, because you're special because you know a big secret exactly i know a big secret and i have a role to play in Absolutely. the deliverance of humanity from <laughs> its doom you got it <laughs> and there was a moment in my probably i think it was probably 29 or 30 years old when i realized i was free of that programming finally once and for all because my dad he came into we were working together in our family business and it was a very successful business and and but he came in one day i was i was doing something he did not want me to do in the world i was dating a woman that he did not think i was good for me okay he came into my office one day and um said to me brian you have finally taken yourself off the path and i remember looking at him kind of like you know giving him that blink that stare that just blinking at him like the fuck are you talking about? i knew exactly what he was talking about but it's like <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> and he says something like, and he, what he said is you will, this is, I'll, I'll, I'll offer a little insight here to what happened to me. Cause I want to hear your story, Lance, of this. He said to me, um, you will never be able now to be elected to public office because of the woman I was dating. She had, it was a married woman. I didn't know she was married when we started. Uh, dating. That was, it's a whole other thing. Okay. Um, scandalous. It was scandalous. He said, you will never now, mind you, this was. 15 years before Donald Trump got elected. So clearly, you know, going out with married women bar. is a yeah, different bar at the time. But this is what my dad said to me. You will never, you will never now be able to, and I wasn't running for public office at the time. And I didn't have any attention as a, you know, this was my dad's, my agenda from my dad was you're going to save the world, son. You're going to lead the world to, and it's like, God damn, what a trip, what a yeah. head trip. But in that moment, when he said that to me, Lance, I remember thinking we're free. Yeah. I have finally so let you down. Mm -hmm. I have so ultimately disappointed you that I can now just live my own fucking life. 
and you can we can just have a real relationship between two men now. That was my thought. It's not kind of how it played out. (laughs) That was my thought in the moment. I remember getting up and hugging him and kind of celebrating. And he he looked at me like I was nuts, but I felt (laughs) free. Yeah. I'm curious, what was that moment like for you? Because I know, again, you grew up in an intensely prophetic culture, the polygamy fundamentalist. I know your grandfather was- Yeah, my grandfather was the leader of the All Red Group. He was assassinated four years before I was born, but I grew up in his legacy. So we had a tight rope to walk as All Reds. And so I grew up with conspiracy theories and all that. And I grew up, all I heard was the incongruency that we're God's chosen people and God's in charge and we're God's elite, but also there's been some big giant nefarious hand that has control over our life and we have yeah. to live in fear. I know about, about that an incongruency. Yeah, I know about that nefarious, the evil forces that are pitted against us to prevent us from doing our good work in the world. Exactly. Totally. I know that. It's completely incongruent narrative. And I, I witnessed that as a kid. And I also saw, again, and I was able, it, it made me feel good too. But as again, we're so special. But with it comes to great burden. When my father blew the whistle on child abuse and money laundering, we had to go into hiding for about six months. And then we settled in downtown Salt Lake City, hiding in complaint site. And there was a grieving to the loss of being special, but there also was the liberation of knowing that I'm not that important. I am not beholden to some narrative that I have to play this role, that I now see the world as a big giant blank canvas for me to paint it how I choose to paint it. And so that's the thing. If people can let go of the narrative that I'm American, this is what it has to look like. I'm Mormon. This is what it has to look like. The the cultural narrative that says the world has to look this way. While it is scary at first to lose your cultural identity, you begin to understand that that identity is not who you really are. It's just a role that you were conditioned to play to belong. And once you can let that go... It's very liberating when you realize just how insignificant you are. And you now see you can actually, what a greater impact you actually can have mm-hmm. on the world. What do you want your legacy to be? Hmm. My legacy. I want my legacy to be that Lance Allred is someone who paid it forward. When I was four, my mom would drive me an hour each way three times a week to Missoula, Montana, where I attended a a preschool. And it was sort of a special needs preschool with my hearing and speech. And I remember I was, my teacher gave me this blue heart and she told me to write my name on it. I remember so clearly because I spelled my name Lance like pants. And I asked her, I said, well, who is this for? And she said, we don't know their name, but someone gave some money so you could go here. Mm. Still don't know who that person was. Wow. Still haven't been able to tell them thank you, but what I can do is pay it forward. Wow. Yeah. And so it's perfect timing. My son just walked into the room and here he what? is and say hello. What's up, buddy? How are you? Nice to how see are you? you? He asked. He asked you, how are you? Oh, he can't hear I'm me. Good. <laughs> good, man. Cool. We've got a few more minutes. Yes. So we're just wrapping up on this call. But thanks for coming and saying hello. I'll come play with you in just a bit. Okay, bye. I can bye. kind of still hear him. Even you can kind of still hear him. Uh. That's okay. <laughs> all right. Okay. That's all right. I'll be out there in just a minute, but okay? I love you, Dad. Love you, pal. Uh-huh. And so I can't tell that person thank you, but I can tell them thank you by paying it forward. Yeah. And using the platform that I had... Yes, I love to speak, I love to do all that, but it allows me to do what I do with my nonprofit, Courage and Grit, where I work with at-risk youth, kids with hearing loss or Native American kids, giving them basketball, but really using basketball to give them soft skills, emotional intelligence. And they get that when they, they have to help us coach special needs kids mm-hmm. so they learn that service is leadership. Mm-hmm. And so just a legacy of being that I was someone who paid it forward. Beautiful, man. Great. Well, one last question, and then we're going to wrap up with our five key takeaways finale. There's a question I'd love to ask all or most of my guests anyway, just to get your thoughts on this. And and since, you know, our audience is largely men, but we have a lot of women listening as well. But I'd like to finish with this question. 
What do you think, Lance, is the biggest challenge facing men today? And what wisdom could you offer in the face of it? The biggest challenge facing men today is that many men, there are many games going on on planet Earth at this time. There's the game of money, the game of power, the game of possessions, but there's also the game of wisdom, the game of clarity, the game of enlightenment and evolution of planet Earth. Many games going on. And many men are stuck in pain and they're committing suicide and we're not talking about it because men have been taught that I cannot show my emotions or my feelings. So the biggest challenge for men is learning to be brave enough and bold enough to not be afraid of being abandoned if they show their authentic self. That if a man is abandoned by a woman because he shows his true self, then she's not supposed to be on its path and vice versa. That we have this false narrative that women are the better communicators than men. Just because women are more stereotypically able to express their emotions does not necessarily give them the monopoly on communication at all. And so the biggest challenge for men right, that we're facing is learning to be brave enough and bold enough to walk the path of the heart. Yeah. That anyone can puff their chest and be bravado. That's easy. That's not hard to do at all. Nope. But are you brave enough to sit and say, wow, I have a wounded heart right now. I'm dealing with heartbreak and I'm going to sit with it. I'm going to breathe through it and I'm going to feel it. Yeah. And I'm going to learn to alchemize it. And learning to do that, because there's a fine line too that we're being asked to walk as men that, you know, women say they want men to be vulnerable, but only too vulnerable. Not, not too vulnerable, because otherwise that means that he's not able to put food on their table, so to speak. And that's a pretty tight rope we're being asked to walk. But as men, we, we can say, I don't have to walk that rope anymore. I don't have to. But I, I choose to live in my full, empowered, authentic self, no longer playing a role in someone else's story, let alone the old stories I was raised in. And so the biggest challenge, to sum up your question again, is men learning how to be brave enough to actually get out of their head and into their body. Yeah, and I think I, th I, think I want to say, I want to offer as well that this this fear of abandonment, I think, you know, and you spoke to it earlier and you've spoken to it a bit throughout this podcast. It's like the, the paradox of being able to hold both, hold both. Because my experience, the fear of abandonment never quite goes away, but we can learn no. how to be with it, how to sit, yes. like you said, how to feel it, how to allow. Mm -hmm. Love is risky. Love is it risky. Is. We, we is. cannot love if we're not willing to take a risk. Exactly. It's like the guy, like you said, the guy on the basketball court who's so afraid of getting benched. He's the guy you want to he, get benched. He's going to get benched because exactly. <laughs> he can't really show up and play. Yeah. And he doesn't understand that heartbreak is our greatest teacher. Yeah. So many people trying to avoid heartbreak with stats yeah. and finding the perfect soulmate right away because they don't want a heartbreak. But heartbreak yeah. forces us to go inward. Heartbreak forces us to peel off the cultural mask that we were taught to wear. And that's the beauty of the whole process. I like a friend of mine, uh, actually another guest, dear, dear friend of mine, Ash Ruiz. He, he reframed heartbreak for me years ago. And when I, we were both watching someone in my family go through an absolute heart-wrenching moment in their life. And, and I remember we did a little ceremony for this person in their room. They, were, they had just lost their dog, but that dog had been their right hand mm -hmm. arm, the chihuahua, for 15 years. And all of a sudden, mm -hmm. it's just gone. Yeah. And I remember Ash reframing it as, as this is the heart breaking open. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that's really beautiful. I love that. That's the best way to put it. A heart breaking open. So that's where our soul shines through. It shines yeah. through the heart, not through our head. Yeah, beautiful. Well, Lance, I know there's just so much more we could explore. I, I want to conclude with our five key takeaways finale. Now, I'd like to kind of finish with these five insights or these five little key takeaways so that our mm -hmm. listeners have something maybe they can scribble down and, and sure. walk. I mean, there's so much insight in this conversation that you and I have just had. And in the future, we'll come back and if you're open to it, do another conversation and there's sure. so many different directions we could go. But are uh, you ready for the five key takeaways finale? Let's go for it. Do it, man. All right. Number one, key insight. What's the one key insight that you would offer our listeners that you believe can make a meaningful impact on their lives because it has in yours? Check your stories. 
always check your stories about how, what story do we tell to someone when there's the big moment of intimacy, that story where is usually we're a victim, something bad or traumatic happened to us. Check your stories and why do you tell those stories to the world? Do you tell it as a victim to get pity and attention or do you tell it as a teacher to help the world? Check your stories always. I love it. Yep. Watch your stories. Yep. Uh, great. Key mentor. Number two, name another man that you've been inspired by living or dead that you'd recommend our listeners learn more about. Oh, learn more about Chief Joseph is my greatest hero. Chief Joseph of the Nez Perce tribe and the path of the Red Mayan is the path that I have always been drawn to. Hmm. And is learning to walk the path of the heart. But Chief Joseph is very powerful in the part of Montana that I was raised in Western Montana when he was trying to get his tribe up to Canada because they were trying to take him out of the area to the Oklahoma territories for a reservation. And he didn't quite make it. And his people were about to be decimated. And he, instead of sending his people to his death and fighting some last battle, he was brave enough to surrender, to give his people a chance hmm. to live through and have their legacy come out, knowing it would probably be several generations before they would be able to return home and leave the reservation. Mm. And so showing me the, the tremendous strength it takes from a man to have the humility to surrender. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah, thank you, man. I can tell he really, really touches you deeply. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a book or how could we learn? Uh, more? No, you can learn more about him. He's all over. Just research him. There's several books written about him. Google him, YouTube him. He's a beautiful man. Okay, beautiful. Thank you. Key resource, your most impactful, inspiring book, movie, or podcast of the last year. Key resource, my most. Oh man, great question. My key resource is my drum. Ooh, tell me more about that. I got a drum set right behind this screen over here. Yeah, it's a, it's a drum that I made at one of my retreats at the Hot Springs of Montana, where I run retreats, do a lot of ceremonies there. And different parts of the world have different medicine. You go north for clarity. You go east for new beginnings. You go south for abundance manifesting. You go west for endings. And so I tell people I like doing my ceremonies in the north for clarity and connecting mm. with ancestors. Mm. And I made a drum, a Native American drum, out of deer skin and everything and drumming helps me and my brain get to a theta state faster mm, yeah. um, and I can drum and I can go on journeys but also stay in my body at the same time and a lot of the clarity and messages that I received from downloading from creation or source whatever you wish to call it has come through these beautiful drumming ceremonies so my drum has been my key resource the last okay year. cool man I like that I love that Maybe on well, maybe this next one will be similar. I don't know. The key investment in the last year. What's the best thing that you spent money on under, let's say, a thousand dollars? Key investment that I spent money on that is under a thousand dollars. Oh, here's one. I went and bought myself a new fishing pole, so I could go and get in the water, have a reason to stand in water. Mm. reason to be out in nature mm. and just connect with everything yeah and whether i catch something or not does not matter fly fishing or yeah a little fly fishing oh man yeah. that sounds lovely yeah you're in such a beautiful country there in utah yeah. as well it oh. is okay and finally key practice please offer one consistent practice that has served you well and that you challenge our listeners to take on for the next seven days my practice is if you don't have a drum, I also, I learned to do these breathing techniques when I was playing basketball, not aware that this is meditation. I used to think meditation was being all Zen and going off to Nirvana and leaving everything yeah. behind. Yeah. But realizing to me, meditation is any act that gets me in my body and out of my head in my body where I'm heart centered or I'm in the zone. As the zone, the athletes call it, we're not in our head. We're not aiming our shots. We're just dancing with life. We're dancing mm -hmm. with what is. We're surrendered. Mm -hmm. We're flowing with it. We're not aiming our shots. Everything just is what we will be. The, the feminine is alive. Absolutely. And I learned to do that through every morning I get up and I face the four directions. And I face, I say, some sort of prayer of gratitude to them. And then I do a drumming, whether it's my, native, my, my drum or I do heart drumming. 
I do a heart drumming as I breathe, and I do a, a thing where I inhale slowly for 10 seconds, hold it for 10 seconds, and exhale for 10 seconds. And I do 10 rounds of it okay. as I heart drum. And that just gets me into my body. When you wake up, you have all these dreams, right? Your brain wants to start going a million miles per hour. But it's mm -hmm. like, you know what? Get back in your body. Start today very focused, very clear, and have that be the standard of how you're going to navigate through the rest mm -hmm. of your day. Beautiful. So the practice is, let's just say, so simplified, it's 10 seconds inhale, mm -hmm. 10 count seconds. to 10, 10 yep. seconds holding, Hold. 10 second exhale, exhale, and all the while beating. Beating on your heart. It's called, I call it heart drumming. So it's just intentionally hitting onto your heart area, the heart chakra, whatever word is you use, you prefer to use, really opening up the heart space. Because mm -hmm. man, when we, you see men overdeveloping the pectoral muscles, yeah. what they're doing is shielding their heart. It's mm, interesting. Yeah. They're trying to prevent themselves from ever being hurt or wounded at the feminine or the emotional level. It's interesting. Never thought about that, but it makes total sense. Yeah. And so learning to open your heart and keep your heart open yeah. and vulnerable, when you realize vulnerability makes you bulletproof. When you are authentic in who you truly are to the world, owning all yeah. of it, you cannot be blackmailed. You can't be totally. extorted. You can't be manipulated. Yeah. So your vulnerability makes you bulletproof. Yeah, it's funny. I, I had a, uh, I don't know, funny is the right word, but I worked with a coach many years ago who was so, I, I, it took me some time to see how dysfunctional this person was in their personal life. And mm -hmm. I remember we had a falling out and, and she threatened essentially to, she had recorded all of our conversations yeah. and she threatened to expose me. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I've made yeah. a living off of exposing myself, off of being right. vulnerable, off of telling the truth of my experience. Yeah. Like I'm not the one who has anything to worry about here. Yeah. And I'm so sorry. I've had many mentors like that too. It's many horrible. people, that have given the whole self-development genre a very bad name. Oh, yeah. That there are a lot of frauds out there who are in it simply to make money, yeah. to be famous, trying to be an influencer. And that's a different game. And you can still walk the self-development path without it being some, it's not a means to an end. It is a way of life. And that's what I tell people. They think, oh, yeah, I want to make a million dollars this year. I'm like, no, you're in it for the wrong reasons. Well, I think some people also, Lance, they're also working out their childhood trauma. Absolutely. By, by being coaches or ther even therapists or whatever. They're, they're, they're just they're unconsciously working out their childhood trauma, you know taking it. it out on their clients. Absolutely. Because they're not doing their own work. Absolutely. You, you nailed it. Again, going back to whether it's therapists, coaches, motivational speakers, anyone can regurgitate Wayne Dyer. Anyone can get on the stage or sit in their therapy room and act all wise. But can they actually walk the talk? And that's where the world needs more heart-centered people to show up. Yeah. Unafraid and unwilling to be intimidated or bullied or pigeonholed and being able to say, no, this is who I am. And if you expose me, then the world will see you for who you truly are. I like a fraud. That. That's right. That's right. Because I'm not the expert. I yeah. have insight. I have experience. I have wisdom. But this is my experience. This is what I know. It doesn't necessarily mean it's what you need to know and what Absolutely. you need to do. And I think that humility, and that's what being, for me, what being in the heart means. It really is like it's a willingness to just not know, not have all the You answers. nailed it. Having the humility to say we don't know shit and willing to dance with life that's walking the path of the heart whereas the brain again with stats wants to be in control but you know control is just an illusion and and we don't know shit is a perfect place to conclude this conversation <laughs> <laughs> lance where can our listeners learn more about you and what you're up to uh, yeah uh, my, my new book the new alpha male how to win the game when the rules are changing is on audible or Amazon. You can find me at Lansallred41. That's my website and my handle. I'm there and I'm pretty exciting stuff. I'm working on purchasing this hot springs resort that I've been doing stuff up, up in Montana. And so in the fall, I'll be bringing it in as a steward and being able to do a lot more uh, retreats and events. Beautiful. And I'll be announcing those soon. So it'll be fun Beautiful. to have you. Come join me for one. I would love to attend a resort in Montana at a hot springs, man, with you. Yeah. I, that would be amazing. 
Yeah. It's a lot of fun. And, but Brian, thank you for walking your path. And again, uh, as a man growing up in the Cold War era, where you've gotten to from here to where you started, it's no small feat. Thank so you. So well Lance. done. I appreciate that acknowledgement from one man to another man. And, and likewise, I honor your journey, Lance, and thank you for coming on and speaking with us and sharing your insight and wisdom. And I look forward to in the future more conversations as uh, we both continue to evolve as men. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again to Lance Allred. Find Lance Allred at Lance Allred. It's with two L's, Lance, A-L-L-R-E-D, 41.com. Of course, that link, as well as any other resources, and a link to Lance's new book, The New Alpha Male, and his five key takeaways will all be in the show notes at brianreeves.com slash podcast. Again, Everything will be at brianreeves.com slash podcast. If you were served by this and think others should hear it too, please share this episode or just write a review on your favorite podcast app. Your words do make a big difference to whether or not uh, additional people will come and listen. So please do write a review. I read and appreciate all of them. And when you write a review, you too can lead more men this way. And of course, don't forget to subscribe yourself while you're at it. I'm your thriving life and relationship coach, Brian Reeves, Brian with a Y Reeves. Until soon, keep your head up, your breath relaxed, and your thoughts inspired. <laughs>